This is an ABC podcast. On ABC Radio, Sport Digital and streaming on the ABC Listen app. This is Summer Grandstand with Corbin Middlemass. <laughs> David Warner's on 98. He's over the bat. You can hear the rise in anticipation from the crowd. Asher Foles and Warner flicks that over the top of the slips and leaps into the air to celebrate his century. The farewell tour for David Warner begins with a century. His 26th in Test match cricket. On summer grandstand across the country, I'm very pleased to be joined by a man who is not only a former international cricketer, he is a television personality for almost 30 years on the small screen here in Australia, but he's also the long-time president of the Randwick Petersham Cricket Club, where David Warner very infrequently nowadays plies his trade, but uh, he is a member of that particular district cricket club, and I'm pleased to say Mike Whitney joins me on Grandstand across the country. Uh, Mike, appreciate your time. Good on you, Corbin. Nice to talk to you, mate. Uh, David Warner, it feels like he, he's really the story of the summer. Um, he's flagged his intentions to finish up at the end of the Sydney Test match. There was a whole lot of talk about whether his form would uh, warrant his position in the team and whether he'll be able to, to make it through to a, a farewell Test match in Sydney. Well, um, gee, made sure of that on the uh, on the first day of the opening Test over in Perth. As someone who's had a fair bit to do with David across his career, what did you, you what were your observations of of his knock on day one? <laughs> You've only got to just tease David, bag him. Tell him he's not good enough. <laughs> Give him a little challenge. I mean, how many times has he done something like that where people have have questioned him? Um, I don't know why Mitchell Johnson wanted to come out and, and say that stuff. Uh, I have no idea. I thought it was a, a bit strange. But as I just said, you've only got to challenge David Warner and uh, majority of times he'll step up to the plate. I thought his innings the other day was just magnificent. I thought his World Cup contribution was fantastic and what a great win that was for you know the boys but yeah look he's he's set he set us up to win this test match by that innings what do you know about david warner that most people don't that we don't get to see is just um you know common cricket fans i guess out there a lot i met david and osman when they were about 12 i got asked to be the patron of a, a junior cricket club in this area called the coastal cricket club Handed them a couple of trophies. No one else got a bat or a bowl in that team, Corbin. <laughs> <laughs> they were just that good as kids. Um, Usman came to Randwick Petersham when he was about 15. He was playing first grade at 16. And David went to Eastern Suburbs. Uh, I've known David. I've known Candace for a long time. And I've known Candace's father for decades from down at Maroubra Beach. So I'm pretty across both of them. Um, look, David... As you said in your intro, the boys playing international and first-class cricket now, you very, very rarely see them, but they have to have a club. Uh, The biggest thing in David's career was the 12 months that he missed out after Sandpaper Gate, and he had to come and play for us for 12 months, or for the whole season. He was fantastic. He was fantastic with the young kids, his level of training at our training facility at Snape. The young boys used to say, God, he trains hard. Okay, mate, that's the level. To sit in the dressing room after a first grade game and listen to him talk to our young boys, they fired a million questions at him. You know, how are you going to handle broad when you go back on the next Ashes tour going around the wicket and that, that snaking delivery bowls away, get his bat out and say, I'm working on my footwork. And 
mate, it was, it was an unbelievable year for the club. And I think over the season, he averaged like 80 in the three forms of the game, the two-day competition one day and, and 220 and gave everything to our club that he could in the time that he was there. So there's been a lot of criticism about David and I know him well and I know his family well. And Corbin, and I grew up in the same suburb, Matraville. And so did Alan Turner, who opened the batting for Australia in the mid-70s, by about 15 sets. And Matraville was a tough place to grow up. And all of us, Alan Turner, myself and David, have all, all been scrappers. Had on the field, that's how you had to grow up there, scrapping and fighting, fighting a bit, and playing a lot of sport. Um, but that's why David's a scrapper. He comes from Matraville. Anybody from Matraville's a scrapper. <laughs> Don't worry about that. <laughs> oh, I mean, his numbers are, are phenomenal. And you look at most test hundreds as an opener. He sits only behind Matthew Hayden now, four behind him. Minimum yeah. 8,000 runs, highest strike rates. His strike rate yeah. is 70. Matthew Hayden, yeah. who sort of revolutionised the position, well, his strike rate was 60, so he's 10 points ahead of him in that particular category. And in terms of sort of all formats, most hundreds, he's behind only Ricky Ponting in, in Australian cricket history now with, with 49 hundreds across all three formats. What do you think his legacy will be? How will we look back on the career of David Warner in 10, 15 years' time? I think people will look at those stats, and a lot of times when people come to me and say, oh, you know, David, why go, mate, look at his stats. His stats across three forms of the game, unbelievable. One of the few that went the wrong way. He went T20 one day test cricket, and people still think of him as a T20 big banger, and he, and he kills, still can be that. I mean, he doesn't hit him as long and as fresh as he used to when he was, you know, 20. But Mate, his level of fitness is extraordinary. His fielding, extraordinary. His catching. The catch he took yesterday around the corner off Lino was a, a special catch. That's unseen for a second. And he took a great catch. You know, he, he runs like a gazelle across the ground. He's 37 years of age. He's been doing it for over, over a decade now. Um, I think people will look back and, and sort of go, oh, yeah, he ruffled a few feathers, but, mate, what a player. What an unbelievable player. Uh, Mike Whitney with me, who's the long-time president of the Randwick-Petersham Cricket Club. Have you gotten his ear already and said, look, Dave, I know you're finishing after the uh, test cricket, after the, the SCG test. Why don't you come back down and play a few games for us at, uh, at Coogee Oval? I'll be talking to Candace first. <laughs> <laughs> because, as you know, look, he's, he's got a media career coming up. I think he's, he's signed uh, to do some commentary. He's going to be very busy. He's got his daughters and Candice, and she's got her own career. But, yeah, if we can snaggle him for a couple of games, because, look, I suspect David might go on the T20 circuit for a year or two. I'm not really sure what he wants to do. Um, but I'll, be, I'll definitely be talking to him about, can you come down and play a couple of games for us? If you're going to do the T20, come and tune up with us before you go, or whatever that may be. But... Um, Look, I've got to say this, Corbin, just to have his face and his picture on our website is an amazing thing. And he's done some wonderful things for our club. I mean, no one at our club ever, ever, ever says anything negative about David. He does wonderful things for our club. When required, he'll turn up if he's available. I mean, and he's been an amazing player. So I'm happy to see that he's put himself in this position, which I just knew he was going to do that. I... I could have read the script here the other day. He's going to go out here and he's going to get 100. He's just going to make everybody put him back in their seats again. And I think he might have been waving to Mitchell Johnson up in the commentary box. When he put his fingers up to his, his mouth and 
sort of, I thought, oh, I wonder is that for Mitchell? But you make your comments, you've got to live by them. And uh, and I think David would be pretty happy that he's made him <laughs> Paul Mitch eat some words there. There is something special about um, club cricket. My start in broadcasting, I remember sort of doing going down to my local first grade game and we would sort of commentate cricket on a Saturday afternoon for uh, for community radio. And um, I mean, every every cricketing story starts there for every player that obviously goes on and, and plays test cricket. You've had a, a wonderful career at the elite level, then in television, but you've spent really the better part of the last 30 years attached to this cricket club. But what is it for you that, that keeps drawing you back to, to Randwick-Petersham and to, to club cricket? I only ever played for Randwick and when I went down to Randwick as a 17-year-old, my father had passed away a year before that. I think my mum was a bit worried that I might have been, you know, going off the rails in Matraville, mate. You know, it was a pretty rugged place. There were some pretty heavy boys there and a lot of blokes got into trouble. So I went down to play at Randwick and if it wasn't for a lot of the men at Randwick that took me under their wing and taught me the game and made me realise that I had a little bit of potential, I could have ended up anywhere, Corbin. So fast forward, I've always treasured that. Without your club, you don't get to play for New South Wales. And without New South Wales, you don't get to play for Australia. So I've always treasured and respected the club. 23 years ago, we merged Randwick with Perdish and Marrickville to create Randwick, Perdish and I've been the president ever since. Why? Because I, I just think I owe that fraternity a lot and I just want to see a young young boy or girl uh, have the opportunities that I have and go on to play for Australia. I mean, it, it's just fantastic to be able to help the club out. Um, I'm very proud to be the president. But I just keep going back to this thought in my head. Without Randwick and now Randwick Petersham, I wouldn't have had a career. So I owe them and I could be the president for the rest of my life, Corbin, and I'd feel honestly feel like I've never repaid the club back what they did for me. So I'm happy to be there and happy to be um, the president of the club. And we've had Simon Cadditch come through our club, Jason Sanger, Davey Warner, uh, Daniel Sams. There's been a long list now of, of really good cricketers that have come through Randwick Petersham. and I'm really, really proud of that. Mike Whitney with me on ABC Radio across the country. I was lucky enough to be there for that uh, Steve Smith, David Warner battle at Coogee Oval back in, what was it, 2018 when they were uh, they were serving their year-long bands. And it was an amazing buzz and the amount of people in and around this you know beautiful old cricket ground. I've always thought it'd be awesome and I know the calendar's so crowded and we so rarely get the international players to play state cricket, let alone grade cricket, but... How good would it be to have a window in the calendar, a weekend every year, where we could have sort of every player in cricket back at their community clubs, whether they're state players back playing grade cricket, international players back playing grade cricket? Is What would something like that do, do you think, for, for um, district cricket or premier cricket as it is now across the country? Oh, massive, Corbin. See, in my day, there was many, many times that I turned out with a Randwick team that had Alan Turner, John Dyson... Uh, Ron Crippen, they'd all played either Test Cricket or for New South Wales, myself. Uh, Gary Bensley played Shield Cricket. Peter Clifford played Shield Cricket for New South Wales and Queensland. I mean, these were sides were turning out every week. And the opposition had ex-Test players, current first-class players. That had to lift the level of play. Now, I'm not saying that the level of play in first grade now is, is diminished because of that, because it's still a very, very good competition. But when you got really good Test players and first-class players, Coming back into a grade system, it's got to lift the level. I've been talking to people about that game that you mentioned at Coogee since then. <laughs> Saying that, Sutherland had Steve Smith, Shane Watson, 
young bloke Austin played. I think Ben Jwarshus might have played as well. We had an English professional, Daniel Bell Drummond. We had the Sams brothers. We had Adam Semple. We had Jason Sanger. They were two really, really good sides. And 3,000 people were there all day, and we reckon there was a transient couple that came and left. So we think that 5,000 people could have possibly visited Coogee Oval that day. At one stage, Mitchell Johnson tapped me on the shoulder. I turned around, it's Mitchell Johnson. I went, Mitch, what are you doing here? He said, oh, Watto had said that there was this big game down on Coogee, and if I'd finished, I was over here working, and soon I finished, come down. I said, welcome to Coogee Oval, Mitchell Johnson. <laughs> I mean, it was just... That's great. Unbelievable day. Austin Moore, Stephen Jung, like I think he hit a boundary on the third last ball to win the game for Sutherland. That was the only disappointing moment for the Randwick Perdition crowd that we didn't win the game. But as a spectacle, it was a huge, it's one of the most monumental days we've had in the club in 23 years. And I keep reminding people about that day. We should have a window. Let these players come back. Mate, and to their credit, Corbin, Mate, David Warner and Steve Smith, Mitch John, uh, Mitchell Johnson when he came up, uh, Shane Watt, they sat there all day and signed autographs when they weren't doing other things. When they weren't actually playing out on the ground, they sat and signed autographs all day, um, which was just wonderful for the kids. Mike, so we- that's the story, yeah. and we should do it. Absolutely. No, uh, Mike Whitney with me on Grandstand Across the Country. Uh, there's a whole generation of people, Mike, and I was one of them. So I was born in the early 90s that I grew up, and every time I watched on television, my dad would say, here's Mike Whitney. He was a great cricketer. He did this. He took seven for at the Wacker. And growing up in, uh, in WA, I, I heard that story a number of times. But there's a whole generation of people that know you for your career on the small screen, whether it was as a referee on Gladiators or Who Dares Wins. Um, you spent 27 years on, on television in, in this country. How many people come up to you on the street and say, hey, I was on Who Dares Wins or you asked me to do this once upon a time? How often does that happen on a, on a weekly basis? Yeah, a lot. A, a few people at the moment, because I finished up a couple of years ago at Channel 7 to, dare I say, have double knee replacement, which I'm about 15 months down the track. That's been, yeah. that's been pretty epic. But people say, oh, you're not doing Sydney Weekender anymore or, or that, or they do come up and say, are you going to dare me? <laughs> and I say, I would, but that was mid-90s, brother. What are you doing? But the show was such a huge impact. Uh, Who Dares Wins and Gladiators were right at the start of reality TV, and Who Dares Wins made a massive impact. People come up to me and say, it's still my favourite show, and I'm I'm really, really humbled by that. I mean, it was it was pretty crazy at the time, but I'm still in contact with Tanya. We're great friends. And yeah. We talk and laugh about it when we have a phone call, yeah. That's the... There's about a, I think there's about a 50-minute compilation on YouTube for people later that if you uh, you can get lost watching Who Dares Wins and these sort of great um, episodes and various things that, that happen. But some of the dares that you guys used to do, so you'd dare people to drink sort of um, yeah, a bunch of emu eggs and I saw there was a woman that did a 10-metre flip off a platform in the middle of a shopping centre. And the, the one that really stood out to me, and I thought, I thought of you particularly given your iconic hair that you've been rolling with over the years, uh, one occasion, I don't know if you remember this, you dared a woman to shave her head down to basically a number one for $200. And yeah. in the end, you were able to find someone, and she did it in the middle of a shopping centre, shaved her head and got $200 out of it. I'd, what price, Mike, would you need for someone to come along to you and say, hey, we're going to shave your head right now down to a number one? What, the afro? Me old afro. <laughs> Not an afro anymore. Uh, I actually did shave it a couple of years ago, oh. Corbin, for the first time. 
such an amazing experience because I've always had this big mop of hair. The back of my ears were freezing for the first three days, mate. There's a bit of wind going on. Look, who dares wins? i tell you what I realised very quickly, and it was very early in my career. I'd only been at Channel 7 a number of months when that opportunity came along. Two cameras, a host, a producer, a couple of sound men, and a couple of extras, a group of sort of maybe eight to 10 or 12 people moving through. And I grabbed someone and the cameras were on and it made me realise how powerful those cameras were because I'd say to people, mate, there's no way this guy in a suit's going to do this. <laughs> and I'd pull him up and I'd go, you know, and the cameras are on him and oh, I'm off to work, Mike. And I'd go, no, well, your mates won't let you in the pub if you don't do this on the weekend. And then they'd say, yes, <laughs> do it. And it was just, Later, later, I'd say to those blokes, why did you do that? He said, oh, the cameras, and there was another 100 people standing around watching, and the pressure was too much. And it was a lot of pressure for those people to do it. And then you'd hand them the 200. They'd be happy with that. But, yeah, it was a crazy show. It was a really crazy show. I don't think you'd be able to do some of those stairs these days. I mean, I just don't think that you'd be able to get insurance for them or anything like that. No, a, no way. It was amazing television. Amazing television. Yeah. The, the other one, did you watch the Gladiators documentary that came out this year, I think, on Netflix? No, I didn't, oh. but I'm really aware that the show's coming back soon, which yes. is pretty crazy. Uh, it's worth worth a look, absolutely. On, uh, on I think it was the American Gladiators, which obviously then caught on over here, and you were a referee as, uh, as part of that, I think. Um, was it John Alexander was on with you, I, th- I think, as well? As, he as he was the first referee, yes. John, in the first series, and then he had to go to Wimbledon and do commentary for Channel 7 over there, and the series was that huge. They wanted to roll into a second one straight away. Yeah. So they approached me. So uh, I, at one stage there, I was doing uh, Who Dares Wins, Gladiators, and Sydney Weekender. It wow. was pretty busy. That's and a... three different, completely different roles. It's a change of pace. I mean, the it? guy who was doing Sydney Weekender was not the host of Who yes. Dares Wins. I had to turn myself <laughs> into a different person. And then the referee sending Vulcan off with a red card. Oh, that, that was some amazing, uh, amazing roles to hold concurrently. And John Alexander epitomizes that. You couldn't get much different, could you? The referee on Gladiators to all of a sudden be rolling up to Wimbledon uh, and and into that it was really weird it was crazy it was a very very exciting time and a very steep learning curve for me i learned so much about television production how the things were shot and my role as a host and what i needed to do was a was a great time in my life uh mike really appreciate all your time um last one before you get out of here do you miss the waca ground i mentioned your seven wickets that you took there i think it was against india in a in a test match and obviously nowadays at perth stadium this beautiful brand new arena on the the burswood peninsula but um looking back at the old famous light towers at the waca ground what do you what do you think about cricket now being played at uh, at the new arena yeah look i've only ever driven past the new arena while i've been in perth i've never actually been in there but it looks an amazing stadium and an amazing place to play any sport but for me traditional the whacker playing in sydney where it was a turner corbin and didn't bounce above your kneecap to go over and bowl on that and in the early 80s, when I started playing in 1980, it still had that carry through and bounce. And to play a sure game against DK Lilly, Terry Alderman and someone like Wayne Clark in the early 80s at the Wacker and watch them bowl on it and then get a chance to bowl. And of course, when you're young, you just want to bowl bounces and see it fly through to the wicketkeeper standing a pitch back. But that's not the way to get people out. And that seven for that I got against India, and I got another seven for about a month later in a Shield final there, 
I finally learned to pitch the ball up, mate. <laughs> uh, Took me a long time, but really love Perth and love playing there, mate. Great memories. Wayne Clark will be very happy with his shout-out as well. I'm, uh, I'm sure there's, there's no doubt about that. Uh, Mike, congratulations on a, on a great playing career, your career in television, and uh, everything you're doing with Randwick Petersham Creek Club as well. The, the long-time president there. appreciate you uh, taking so much time to have a chat to me today. Always good to talk to you, Corbin. Thanks very much, mate. My pleasure. Uh, the legendary Mike Whitney with me on Summer Grandstand ABC Radio across the country. Uh, as I said, president at uh, Randwick Petersham, which is David Warner's grade club, where he spent time back in uh, 2018 during his uh, his year-long ban from the game, but at various stages infrequently throughout his career. And any good excuse to be able to catch up with, uh, with Mike Whitney. Great to hear him on ABC Radio. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. You can discover more ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.